Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the takeout ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major Fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. This is the takeout. I'm Major Garrett. Our guest this week, Patrick McHenry, congressman from North Carolina, Republican, chairman of the Financial Services Committee. Mr. Chairman, good to see you. Great to be with you. Great to be back with you. Yes, you are back with us. We are at a restaurant we've never been before, I Ague. It's breakfast time. We'll get to that in a minute. The last time we talked was January of 2023. And you said on that program that in politics, it's always better to suffer your indignities in private. You have, whether you like to be or not, Mr. Chairman, the kind of face of public Republican indignities in the House of Representatives. You helped Kevin McCarthy secure the speakership. Then you were put in the unwelcome and unfortunate circumstance of presiding over the House during a torturous process to, be, to create a new speaker. Now you're retiring from Congress quite unexpectedly. Are those things connected? No, no, not at all. Not uh, at all. No, and in, in, in you're fact, not frustrated. No, in fact, the, the mantra I have of suffering your 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 indignities in, in private rather than public that might be a hope rather mm-hmm. than uh, an action item. Uh, being a, a, a Republican member of the House of Representatives. So, as as for me, I'm 20 years in. This is my 20th year in Congress. Uh, I have a six year term limit on running my committee. That's what I came to do: is move policy. I've moved policy, and I'm at the end of my term limit. So it was a natural end for me uh, to in this Congress and to be influential in this Congress, which has been really rough to make policy, very rough to make policy. Um, but to do that and to do it pretty well in 2023, personally, is a great achievement. So I'm, I'm happy with the course I've taken. Disappointed at the state of Congress, though. That's for sure. Is the House Republican majority better off without Speaker Kevin McCarthy? 
I don't think so. Uh, he was highly successful in the 10 months of, of his speakership. We didn't have a single failed rule. And since then, we've had five rules fail, uh, which is uh, a, a terrible mark for a majority. Briefly explain what to my audience why it's a terrible thing to have the majority party lose votes on rules. So if you think of uh, parliamentary democracy, that means you have a your your government fails and then you go out to an election. It is a severe consequence to take a bill to the floor. And the first thing you do, I'm sorry, the first step to take a bill to the floor is you have to pass a rule that says here are the terms of debate. Right. And if you're in charge, you dictate the terms of debate. That's what the whole point the of it is. And if you don't pass that rule, you have in essence hand the House floor over to the minority party to do what they will. We've done that uh, we did it zero times under Kevin McCarthy's leadership, and in the five months since then, we've done it five times, um, which is uh, a, a terrible mark for any majority, for any Congress, for any decade, for any majority party, much less five months. Is that a reflection on the current Speaker, Mike Johnson, or the conference itself? In part, both in part. Uh, look, the House Republican Conference went through a really gut-wrenching process in October. Uh, we had a Speaker that all of us liked except for eight uh, that voted against him in uh, Kevin McCarthy. Somebody who'd been effective at all the agenda items he had set forth in the opening week of January made very clear, successful in the negotiations with the White House on raising the debt ceiling. And yet uh, t- the speakership was taken away from him by all the Democrats banding together, as they should. Of the course they party. would. Yes. Republicans would have done the same thing. And then eight Republicans siding with all the Democrats to throw out our speaker. We went through five, uh, we went through five choices, and Mike Johnson's the fifth choice. Um, he has not been around these leadership decisions. He's had a, a really tough process. We've thrown him into the deepest end of the pool with the heaviest weights around him and trying to teach him how to learn to swim. And so it's been a rough couple of months, that's for sure. I want him to be successful. I need him to be successful as a House Republican for us to get anything done. We need a successful speakership. Uh, speaker. And, uh, and, and so my hope is that we can have a better tomorrow than uh, yesterday. So there is... A couple of things pending in the very near future for the House Republican majority. One is the question of aiding Ukraine by whatever means necessary. The president has a plan. The Senate passed a bill. There is now an effort of moderate Republicans to create an alternative. Where are you, Patrick McHenry? And what it's do you want to happen? It's not moderate Republicans. It's those who, who fervently believe that it's in our national security interest to fund our allies so that they can defeat, they themselves can defeat our combined enemies, our joint enemies. They would put the bloodshed, uh, they would offer their toil, Mm -hmm. and we would provide weapons for them. I think it's a very good deal. I don't consider myself a moderate Republican. You are not. uh, What I would consider myself is pragmatic when it comes to governance issues. Or Reagan conservative. Yes. And um, and so I want a conservative outcome. A conservative outcome here is funding our allies. You're telling me a Democrat administration, look, stepping back as a Republican, I have a Democrat president who said that he wanted to be the embodiment of LBJ, FTR, and the second coming of, of the leftist grandiose uh, agenda for, for the left and the progressive left. That's what he wanted to be at the beginning of the administration. Now he's asking Republicans to spend $50 billion more on defense. Um, now, would you have predicted that in, you know, at the day after the election? Probably not. So... I take that as a win that he is he's for the national security interests that I think are important. So there is a majority in the House that will support this. That will support it. I will support Ukraine funding. How does it get to the floor? Uh, that's going to be the tough mechanism uh, because the speaker, I don't think, is going to be willing 
to to go to bat for the Ukrainian people, for for uh, our commitments in Asia, for our commitments in the Middle East right now, and so he, he will co- not be willing to go to bat. Well, for that. look, we've 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 attempted we passed one Israel bill, mm-hmm. um, which was. Um, the mechanism to do that was a mistake. We took uh, funding that Democrats, by and large, would never accept. When If we just passed uh, you, Israel aid in the opening uh, last week of October, first week of November, it would be law now. If yeah. we just passed it, but we had a, we, they played politics with a pay-for, which I think was a dumb decision then. Um, and has made, been made manifestly worse as each week has gone by and Congress has been uh, unable to act. So... It comes to the floor of one of two mechanisms, either through, um, either through a discharge petition, which requires a majority yes. signing their name on the line yep. for holding out for a long period of time, and then the bill comes to the floor over the objection Any likelihood of, the of that? There's some likelihood of that. 20%, 30%? Yes. And then, no better than that. No better than that. And then there's probably a 40 to 45% shot that the second way to take a bill to the floor, which is a... a uh, a procedural motion to cut off debate, which is moving the previous question. Now, this right. is parliamentary procedure, yeah, and everybody's going to stop. Weeds. Okay. Right. The moment here of a defeating of the previous question, we've not done this in generations right. in the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, losing a rule vote, uh, vote, I view that as a cardinal sin, right? A cardinal sin. This is not some sort of trifling thing of a white lie. It is a major uh, grievous sin. Defeating the previous question is something like a nuclear device. Yeah. It is of magnitudes different than a sin. It is a vast act of war. Yeah. So that is the other mechanism to bring this bill to the floor. And if that it, would indicate that pressure had built so much within the membership of the House that different allegiances were created to force the detonation of this parliamentary yes. nuclear device. Yes. But what is axiomatic about the House is that any speaker can stand in the way of a majority will on the House floor for a period of time, but not permanently. And here we have a substantial majority in the House of Representatives that is for the defense supplemental that the Senate passed. They support 80 to 90 percent of what's in the bill, uh, and about two-thirds of the House is of that opinion. It will get done. It will just be a question of how it gets done and how long it will take to get done. Um, and my hope is that the Speaker will come around to seeing this in a very sensible way for an American national interest to be taken care of and us uh, funding our allies so that they can def- defend themselves. That is the voice of Patrick McHenry, Chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. We are about to have breakfast at IAU near Capitol Hill. More of our conversation with the chairman when we come back. I'm Major Garrett. That's the takeout. Segment two coming your way in just one second. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard... We think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Takeout. Breakfast has arrived, and uh, if it is true that carbs are comfort, and I believe it is true, we are well-situated. Patrick McHenry is our guest. Now you know why I'm doubling down the carbs. Exactly, is our special guest, chairman of the Financial Services Committee, significant voice within the House Republican leadership for many reasons. Uh, Mr. Chairman, um, in early March, the uh, government will face two deadlines on funding, March 1st and March 8th. Will there be another shutdown? I hope not. I know you hope not, but will there? Um, I think the odds are 50-50 at this point. That there will be a shutdown. Yes. Um, and it's uh, it, this is a preventable disaster. Look, we should have taken these votes in real time on uh, funding the government. Had we done this in November and December, the policy would be about the same, maybe a little bit better than it is now. Uh, the politics would be much better than they are now. Um, and the appetite to get the deal done would be much uh, – would be um, – would be equally as high. So if you see that the outcome is going to be about the same, maybe worse, take it in real time. But here we are. Um, I think there's a lot of fear of, of the deal and getting things done in November and December. My hope is that the, the appetite will be much higher now but the deal to eventually ha- get the, the deal But the deal has done. a macro structure. There is an agreement on the macro numbers for defense and non-defense discretionary spending. So the hardest deal of the Congress was raising the debt ceiling. Right. And this is a reflection of that deal. Now that we as have, we go back to where we started, Kevin McCarthy negotiated and lost the speakership over. So not over that, over the fact that we passed a continuing resolution, which this speaker's passed two of. So the idea that it had anything to do with policy, McCarthy getting, getting his speakership taken away from him had nothing to do with policy, zero to do with policy, and everything to do with personality of the eight members that wanted to, do, to commit a selfish act for their own political outcomes rather than a principled act. And this is nothing to do with principle and everything to do with politics. But back to the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling laid out the perimeter of, of, of around government spending. That's set. So we are doing this. We're now uh, playing. Uh, we're now bowling, if you will, uh, with the bumpers up, right? So you only can do. You only can score so poorly now that the the bumpers are actually in the gutters. So all the speaker has to do is allow the Appropriations Committee to go get a deal. We will have a deal uh, by March 1 and March 8th if we can allow just momentum to occur. If the speaker wishes to stop it for whatever reason, we'll probably have a government shutdown. So this will be on the speaker. It will come down to the speaker's decision on whether or not to just fund the government and get on with the deal or whether or not it's fear of the deal that drives him, which will then result in a government shutdown. And what I believe is we'll get higher spending and less policy as a result of the government shutdown. The source of that fear for the speaker would be? Losing his speakership. Because? Because. um, Is that a a real and legitimate fear? It is a real and legitimate fear because the last guy was taken out. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened with, uh, you know, with Boehner to Paul Ryan. And because you can't unwind that watch. You can't forget that history. Every speaker knows that it's a possibility. Yes. So you can either dine as speaker and worry about them taking you out or live every day as your last get something out of it get something out of the personal sacrifice you make 
the family sacrifice you make, the political sacrifice you make, the reputational sacrifice you make to lead. If you lead and get big things done, your reputation enhances. Your ability to get the next deal done is enhanced. The view from the public, while not perfect, is better if you take action than if you sit and dither. And sitting is the worst act of a majority in the House. Somebody described it, and Newt, Newt Gingrich is the one who, 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 who penned this phrase. He says, um, speakership's a lot like riding a bike, right? If you, if you stop moving, you fall over. So you need to keep moving. And so I think it's important that we get, a, we get these deals done, which will enable us to get more policy down the pipe rather than less. Is there any means, Mr. Chairman, where you see the collection of spending bills and Ukraine, aid to Asia and Israel, all commingling. It's possible. It's possible. Um, yes, I, I know, know, but how possible? I, know. <laughs> um, I think that has um, a, a pretty high chance of, of happening. Okay. Um, that these all pressure. these all flow together. They all flow together. It could be post-government shutdown that that happens. The point of leverage becomes mighty then. Um, it could be um, in the in in the week leading up, the week leading after. I mean, there 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 are a couple different legislative avenues that could be taken, but we'll see this in real time. When you were on our program in January, you made it very clear that some of your perspectives are not the majority in the House Republican Conference. Are what you're describing today reflective of the majority of the Republican Conference? These sentiments about getting through the shutdown and putting Ukraine aid on the floor and getting it passed? I think, uh, I think about, yeah, I think it's, it's a narrow majority okay. in the House. Now, there's a narrow majority who know that it's the right thing to do, that if we leave Ukrainians to, to leave their blood in the, ba- in the mud fighting the Russians, that that is a moral stain on America, to allow that to happen, not only to allow that to happen, but to force it to happen. <clears throat> now, the question is, will the votes line up with people's commitment? That's always an open question, so we'll see how that plays out. It is, though, if you cast a, a secret ballot among House Republicans, that is the majority view among House Republicans. Do you believe that sentiment has in any way been changed by the death of Alexei Navalny? Um, I think it, it, it... And should it be? Well, it, it should. It should show the barbaric regime that is in place in Moscow, that they have not changed from their, their uh, former CCP ways. It's just a, it's, um, it's a new iteration uh, that um, that Putin's put in put in a place a different form of Stalinism. Yes, but Stalinism nonetheless. Um, and so, it should it should be an enhancement for policymakers to see what's at stake. Human life is at stake. Uh, Western civilization is being tested in a major way, and I mean in in a in, the first world is being challenged. Civil society is being challenged, um, and so for us to think of just Keep, keeping shipments flowing internationally is being tested in real ways. And it's a, it's a matter of America leading, though we don't want to, though we are reluctant leaders, we must engage. And we are the great democracy on the globe. And we should be the example to the rest of the world and have a safety umbrella for the rest of the world so we can have economic prosperity and allow freedom to, to, uh, to grow and prosper globally. On his uh, social media platform, the former president compared himself to Alexei Navalny. Do you see a comparison? 
have not thought about it until you just said it. Um, uh, and I, I don't I don't know the relative biography similarities or differences. Uh, I think the uh, comparison, strange though it might be, is that uh, both were persecuted by the government. Well, there are a couple of things that can be true, uh, but the large analogy not make sense. I think this is a good example of that. A couple of things that could be true. Do you have poli- uh, uh, elected prosecutors playing politics and seeking retribution against the president because it's good politics for them? Yes, I see that clearly. And you can see that in New York. You can see that. You can see that with uh, the disaster that's this uh, Atlanta case, uh, the circus that that's become. Uh, those things can be true, absolutely true. Um, but when you're put in a gulag in Russia, it is a very, very different With no feel. due process rights. No, there, there are a handful of places in the world by which you never want to step foot in, in prison. Um, and Russia and the Soviet Union are the highest in the last thousand years. And so uh, while, while the president has been targeted politically, and I believe he has, uh, by prosecutors, um, that could be true. But the, the barbaric state of the Putin regime is in no comparison to, uh, to American jurisprudence or uh, uh, broadly or specifically, nor the ramifications of being put in American prison vo- versus any other prison in the world. Is there any uh, charge the former president currently faces or proceeding, civil or criminal, that you believe is not politically motivated? Um, well, look, I mean, they had, they had one of the civil fraud case, and so that's been, that was decided uh, by a jury. I'm not going to get in front of a jury on that. Uh, but the president has his legal rights. There are a lot of counts there. Um, I think there is a lot of stupidity by the president's legal team um, in the lead up to the 2000 election and in the aftermath of the 2000 election. I think there are a lot of politicians made a lot of stupid statements that will not wear well in history, nor in any court of law, nor in any right thinking uh, somebody who cares about the Constitution, the constitutional, constitutional constraints of our government. I think all that's true. Specific charges, look, I'm not a lawyer, but man, there are a lot of charges here, and the president's going to have to defend himself on that. The voice of Patrick McHenry, chairman of the Financial Services Committee on the House side, Major Garrett here. Stay tuned for segment three of the takeout in one second. Welcome back to the takeout. I Ague is our host restaurant. We thank them for their hospitality and the great carbs the uh, potatoes uh, pumpkin bread all outstanding it's the chairman fantastic. has got a um, egg and cheese sort of like uh it's like, it's like an elaborate american crook masseur i think uh, he also yes. has potatoes uh so continuing where we left off in segment two there are those in your party at the highest level who describe individuals in our country who have either pled guilty or been found guilty of criminal violations Attached to January 6th as hostages. Are they hostages, Mr. Chairman? No, no. Our legal system works. Uh, Should they be called hostages? No. Um, And It's an obvious point, but it seems to be losing uh, its obviousness in some quarters. Yeah, and and in fact, a lot of journalism now is asking the obvious question and just seeing what the response is. And I like watching these. I like watching interviews where... The person can then either answer or not answer, and it is an answer in and of itself, right? 
Right. Uh, not that I, you know. The evasiveness or the other side of it is an answer all by right. itself. And so we have this outsized rhetoric, an outsized rhetoric uh, in an attempt to get further to the right in order to get political power. Now, getting further to the right used to be whether or not you have a, you're committed to not raising taxes. Or you're committed to what I think is important with our, our, our uh, social issues and, and values, whether or not you're actually committed, whether or not you're committed and you're going to take the brave political acts. What we've engaged in uh, uh, progressively with social media and where we are now politically is that the loudest, stupidest person is viewed as the most conservative or the most progressive or liberal. It has nothing to do with uh, policy, has everything to do with style, has everything to do with scoring political points or raising political cash. And so if that's the whole goal, then you can have loud, stupid people on the left and the right that define the whole party. And I, don't, I think it's a huge misrepresentation for what we're trying to achieve. The reason why I'm a Republican is because I'm a conservative. The reason why I'm a conservative is because I think my philosophy un, un, unleashes uh, people's capacity to live like lives like they want to live, to take risk, to take opportunity, to live to achieve free. prosperity. Yes, and achieve prosperity and live their dream. I think that is a beautiful, wonderful thing about freedom, and I'm committed to that. What I'm not committed to is just throwing bombs for the sake of throwing bombs. I started as a, out as a bomb thrower because I thought that was a way to move conservative policy. Then I realized that's not the way you actually move policy. You get in the right rooms. You then create power, a power structure through, uh, through media, through fundraising, through your relationships, but built around an idea or a policy that you're trying to drive. An end goal. And that's, this, that, that is what I am proud of, is my marks in public policy. And I've used all those tools to achieve a policy gain, a policy win. That's the purpose. Not to do it for the sake of raising money to raise money to raise your money to go raise your money, or to do media because you want to be on the other side of the microphone. Go do it, man. You can go on YouTube. And some of these members of Congress that I serve with, on the left and the right, just go create your YouTube account. There's a way. Mr. Beast makes tons of money, and he's never had a, 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 he's never had a political office. And what he does in his content generation, he can go put in his pocket, right? That is a different model than what some of these people do. They're looking for a platform as being a, to be a member of Congress as a platform. Not for a purpose, but for themselves. Well, go do something else. You can be a social media creator, uh, uh, content creator, mm -hmm. and and have that platform. A, Leave a, me alone. This, right? this observation <laughs> is obviously deeply personal to you and passionate. Uh, Twenty-three Republicans are retiring from this con House Republican conference. Five are committee chairmen. Some do not have their chairmanships term limiting out. There is talk of a brain drain, of an institutional lack of those who are goal setters, policy pursuers. Are you concerned about that? Do you count yourself among those? Uh, look, I, my natural end was, was here. Uh, I didn't know that 2023 was going to work out like it did for me, with, uh, as, you, as you stated at the beginning, uh, with, with uh, my actions in the House. Um, and you know, finishing, finishing the year with uh, 23 days as, as Speaker Pro Tem or the temporary speaker. So... I think I'm. I think my decision was different than the context of some of these other members. Uh, 
when people don't see the opportunity to progress and to move their ideas or policies forward, then they want to go to a venue where they can or go pursue other other uh, other opportunities. We've seen this on the de- in the Democrat side sure. where uh, really enterprising members of the House that could be great committee chairs because they don't have term limits on chair- uh, chairmanships. They don't see a path to stay in the House. So they run for governor. They run for Senate. They go take a. Uh, you know, a shot at something different because they just know that they have nowhere to go in the House. What we don't want is for members of Congress to lose hope that there will be a better day for their policy, for their outcomes. And that's what I'm trying to tell them. Are these 23 retirements a suggestion that those members are less hopeful? Unfortunately, yes. Um, and I could say I'm special and different, but I don't believe anybody's that special and different. Uh, I saw my, my end uh, at the end of this Congress, uh, and I saw that my wife would have told you it was, it was 10 years in the making, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I was going to try to finish Congress as uh, chair of the, the committee I'm, I'm chair of or some other position in leadership. Um, and those things in leadership are not open, and I'm uh, content with finishing my time as, as chair of the committee. Your biggest achievement having been? Uh, moving all the policy I moved out of uh, the, the committee in the last seven, seven months. And if I can get even a tenth Specify. of that through, uh, that is, uh, give well, three things. Uh, data privacy for financial firms. We haven't updated in 25 years. We need to up, update it for the Internet age. Second, capital formation. We need to uh, link up opportunities for small businesses to raise capital, for investors to invest in new, new products. And we need to have confidence that the market, is uh, our financial market, our securities market in particular, is the best in the world. We have a package of reform there. Third and finally, uh, crypto. Uh, cryptocurrency. Digital assets have no regulatory form at the federal level. We're a great nation. We should be the leader in technology. We should be the leader in finance. And we're falling behind in cryptocurrency and digital assets. I have a, a piece of legislation that I've worked with French Hill and, uh, and Dusty Johnson and, and uh, GT uh, Thompson. And we've got a, a bill that's finally crafted to give regulatory form there. Those are the major pieces of policy that I came to Congress to go achieve. That's what I set out I didn't come to Congress to achieve. Let, let me step, step back. I, stated, I started this process four years ago to build out policy for when we're in the majority. We moved all those items out of committee in seven months, and now I've got the remainder of the year to go see those things into law. And that's what I'm, that's what I'm really ambitious to go achieve, our policy outcomes before I leave, more policy outcomes. Why should Alejandro Mayorkas be impeached? Um, Severe misadministration, uh, a, a willfulness against uh, Congress and uh, congressional directive, um, a, a unwillingness to uh, adhere to existing law, and for being dishonest with Congress. When, now, when you read some conservative commentators who have argued that this particular impeachment mechanism devalues or degrades the high crimes and misdemeanor standard understood by constitutionalists and House historians, you say what? I say that uh, they, they're missing two additional points. Um, I agree that the, the way uh, Homeland Security conducted the impeachment uh, exercise was, uh, was poor. Uh, I don't think it was well executed. The Number one. Yes. And I think uh, the case was not broadly made on why this is a, uh, this is a high crime and misdemeanor to the public eye. 
What is apparent, though, and the two, two reasons I think are very important, one is his statements to Congress saying that the border is secure when it is obvious to everyone's eyes and every statistic since Biden took off office that it is not secure. Then a willfulness to not adhere to the laws that Congress has written. That, that's point one. Uh, point two, uh, there is a question be- uh, uh, that the founders have about maladministration, that broad incompetence, is that an impeachable offense, right? And there's a lot of debate still. At the very least, he has been incompetent in his delivery and following the law, at the very least. Now, do I think we should have passed border policy and forced him to adhere to a higher standard? Yes. But part of the reason why conservatives and a lot of uh, us Republicans broadly uh, um, were concerned about the Senate border package was because it required him to implement it. And the unfortunate thing here is you do have to uh, allow the executive branch to implement laws. That's the voice of Patrick McHenry, chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. Segment for the takeout in just one second. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to The Takeout and our carb-heavy, delightful breakfast at IAQ near Capitol Hill. Patrick McHenry is our guest. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, have you, to this date, seen sufficient evidence to support, if any are brought, impeachment articles against the President of the United States? Not at this point. Um, I do think there are a a long list of questions uh, about the President's business relationship with his brother and with his son. The transfer of funds between accounts being of primary concern and the obvious connective tissue of their enterprise, of their family enterprise. Uh, there are other questions I, I have that need to be answered, uh, which will be determined of whether or not that's a high crime and misdemeanor. What is apparent, though, is that uh, the whole Biden family enterprise uh, rested on his political position. There was an enormous financial gain as a result of his political position. Um, and his brother and his son uh, were using that uh, to, to pad the whole family's finances. Um, now, they were the primary breadwinners. What was obvious to, to the documentation is that um, you have the president's son uh, bringing in funds for the whole family. Um, and the heavy obligation of that uh, for somebody who has a, a, lot, of, a lot of challenges uh, with uh, his addiction... Uh, issues that have been heavily covered. Um, so I think, you know, there, there, are, there are key signs of what the enterprise was doing. 
I think that's clear in the public's mind as well among Democrats and Republicans. Um, and the nicest thing, I've, most charitable thing I've heard from Democrats is that it was um, disreputable, uh, but not uh, as severe as Republicans think. And that's the best pitch I've heard from Democrats. So, As was often the, said by Republicans about allegations around the Bush family when Democrats made them. I was um, around here back then for sure. H.W. Bush and George W. Bush. Yes. There's a large family. There are a lot of political connections. There was money raised and enterprises launched and failed and all sorts of things. Uh, they weren't Do you think there's a material the difference? Do you they, think there's they were a material not difference? the government. Okay. And the president's son and his brother were. Um, and also international clients, which, uh, which that's, that's a To your mind, it takes it to a different level. It takes it to a much, much different level. Now, the question then becomes whether or not we have full documentation on what that looks like. Uh, have you whether seen or not, that? Um, I've seen the, the elements of the distribution of funds, uh, but nothing of large dollar amounts. Uh, between the parties in question. So the question to me um, as, a, as, as a member of the House is whether or not um, when judiciary and oversight complete their work, whether or not those, those things are evidence of a high crime and misdemeanor. And so I'm going to take that very seriously. I'm going to look at all the documentation before I make a decision or make any announcement one way or another. We talked probabilities earlier about shutdown and Ukraine aid. What would you say the probability this year of a Biden impeachment vote on the House floor is? Less than 50 percent. Less than 50 percent. That's even bringing it to the floors. The second question would be, if it's brought to the floor, what do you think the probability of it passing? Well, look, I mean, um, they, they brought the Mayorkas vote to the floor and it failed the first time. Um, I think the whip does a nice job of counting votes, does a very, very good job of counting votes, but they made a, a bad decision in bringing it to the floor and, and failing. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? And, and the decision-making on uh, bringing issues to the floor under this speaker have been very different than uh, the last 20 years that I've, I've experienced in the House, and I'm still trying to figure out the, the, um, the math on how that works. Do you agree or disagree with former President Trump's representations that he and every other president is cloaked in absolute immunity? No. You do not? No. Um, I think what we've had is, uh, since Nixon, uh, a, bad set of, uh, a bad set of assumptions of presidential power, and then an over-response. So does the president have uh, broad authorities in office for the con- conduct Absolutely. of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Has that been eroded since, uh, since, well, 1968? Yes. So the checks and balances here are a little in flux. Um, Congress has not acquitted itself in retaining its powers very well over the last 50 years either. One of the things it does to erode those powers is to not get its work done. Right. Not getting their work done. Appropriations and also, bills and other things. Well, appropriations bills being the first key, and foremost key issue of just basic job performance. It's and, like, and protecting institutional power. Yes, it's like it's like showing up to work on time and passing your drug test. It's like that basic level. It's not saying you're competent or good or anything else, but we've done a terrible job with that. Now, the assumption that a president has that they're above the law is is a very deeply flawed one. And it has been a deeply flawed one for all holders of the office. Uh, but I disagree with uh, President Trump's assessment here. Do you have an opinion on whether or not the former president should be on ballots? And if not, because of the 14th Amendment? Uh, he should be on the ballot because of the four- uh, He should be on the ballot. Um, what he has not been convicted of is the thing that would keep him off the Insurrection. ballot. Insurrection. And so 
to say that you're going to have a uh, somebody who is supposed to be a basic accountant for elections, a secretary of state or elections board supervisor, take a large constitutional act is highly unbecoming. It is it is equally as unbecoming. It is even actually it's even worse in my view than what Congress would do to to throw out a legitimately counted electoral uh, account for for a state. Um, it is much worse uh, because they're unele- most of these folks are unelected, and for them to think that they have this power is completely absurd. It's almost as absurd, almost as absurd um, as the assumption that Congress has the ability to just dismissed because they don't feel like it, a a, a legitimate count by a state. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think weighing these things, I think what what you have here are the progressive left taking uh, a a legal uh, assessment that some of the whack job right put forward uh, in the the fall of uh, 2020, Mm -hmm. in the fall of 2020. And uh, in, the, in the aftermath of the 2020 election, uh, they should stop taking the same drugs that the whack job right are taking. And the progressive left and the whack job right should not be uh, soulmates here on what is constitutional uh, law or normative acts in our, in our republic. Is there any doubt in your mind that former President Trump will be the nominee of the Republican Party? Nope. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for the future of the Republican Party? Uh, it is. It is. Um, it is up for the Republican Party to decide what the Republican Party is, and we do that through elections. We do that through primary elections across the country. A lot's in flux. What we have right now is uh, is the most conservative Republican Party we've had uh, in my lifetime. Uh, what we also have is a large interest in progressive politics that have nothing to do with conservative policy or conservative. Uh, political philosophy. Um, and so we have this big challenge within the party, the poll, uh, on, on what is, um, what is uh, populist sentiment versus what is traditional conservatism. Uh, th- this has been the natural tension that we've had uh, for like the last six years, but it is a natural tension within both parties uh, around two different uh, disparate elements. Democrat Party has, instead of two pieces or three pieces pulling at it like the Republican Party does, they have 10 to 12 different different views, uh, depending on who you talk to. The voice of Patrick McHenry, Chairman of the House Financial Services Committee. Mr. Chairman, it's always a pleasure. Great to be with you. Thanks, Thanks. for hanging out. Stay tuned for your takeout. I'll take a special. See you next week. Welcome to your takeout outtake especial. I Ague is our host restaurant. We thank them for their hospitality. Patrick McHenry. It's our special guest. When you were on the program in January, we did not get to the three threshold questions because we were going through the deeply dramatic election of the House Speaker. So we're going to get to the three threshold questions. They are, and take them in whatever order you prefer, most influential book in your life and why. That's one question. All-time favorite movie, that's question two. And if you're on a long flight or a long drive and you're really going to enjoy some music, what artist or genre is that most likely to be? <laughs> All right. So um, my Spotify mix is, is a little complicated because I have kids. Mm-hmm. So there's a little, little bit of kids, kids bop, a little bit of kids bop, a little yeah. bit of... Uh, but Hamilton has been a go-to for the family for, for listening. Uh, as far as a movie, Patton. I love the movie Patton. It's just, uh, just amazing, uh, amazing story. I, I wrote my 
senior thesis in college uh, about George Patton. Um, so I'm massively enamored uh, with the movie and in, in, in it has book. been said that and I agree with this that no actor in the history of American cinema more embodied a character than George C. Scott did General Patton perfectly amazingly uh, even the sound of his voice um, and then uh, the third piece the most influ- influential book um, the Manchester biographies of Churchill um, as a student of politics, as somebody who loves watching the execution of power, we have very few legislative examples uh, in American history. We always write about presidential, we always write about the presidents and their decision making. When it's the execution of that policy in a roughshod way in the House and the Senate that, that I look to for that type of leadership. And I can see that in Churchill, in the mechanics of the British system, parliamentary system. One, and then two, in the backdrop of great events. And being right, being wrong, mm-hmm. deeply wrong, mm-hmm. out of power, long-term failures. right, failures, successes. successes. It has all the elements of, of a life well-lived, an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary painting of time. And Manchester, his, his first two books uh, on, on uh, Churchill are just exquisite, uh, exquisite. Uh, the second Anything Robert Cairo writes mm-hmm. is extraordinary. Such, such so deeply researched, but the Manchester biographies of Churchill are, are the are the big uh, tapestry of, that that I love. Before I let you go, because it's getting a historical reassessment. When you think of the wrongs of Winston Churchill, what would they be? Um, he was uh, wrong about. Uh, uh, he, he was well. He was he was wrong about the the monarchy and uh, and uh, abdication. Uh, he was uh, he was wrong around some elements of race, mm-hmm. uh, serious elements of race, uh, and specifically the British view in India. Mm-hmm. Um, that those are those are two of the the large pieces um, that I uh, that I think are. But in the long arc of the 20th century, more right than wrong. More right than wrong, and from your vantage point. From my vantage point, and his views on race were by and large, better than the time period he lived in, and that, that is a positive uh, assessment. Uh, but his particular view on India uh, was, uh, was horrible, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and then his execution of policy, India policy, was even worse. So, uh, th- yes, no one's perfect. No one's perfect, but we understand all of his faults and failures and see them vividly because he wanted us to see him vividly. He left a copious record as the saying goes. Patrick McHenry, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Great to be with you. We'll see you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. 
Survivor's back, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.